Capital Six Theatres is situated on the corner of Yates and Blanchard in the heart of downtown Victoria. Capital Six Theatres features luxury recliner seating. You can reserve your seat in advance and choose where you want to sit. No more waiting in lines. To reserve your seat now, visit capital6.ca. That's C-A-P-I-T-O-L 6 dot C-A. Welcome to You in the Ring. I'm your host, Salma Hassan. Here at You in the Ring, we share alternative perspectives on campus life and news, and look into what doesn't get talked about enough or at all. We feature interviews with students, faculty, and other members of our community to hear what UVic has to say. We would like to acknowledge with respect that the University of Victoria stands on the land of the Lekwungen and Wasanich people. We'd like to thank the elders and chiefs of these territories for continuously allowing us to reside here, although many of us were not invited to do so. As a radio station and media outlet, CFUV was founded in colonial contexts and still continues to operate in those contexts today. UVic is a vibrant community with a student population of over 21,000. With so many individuals living, learning, and working here, our university always has something going on. Over 200 clubs operate here, and there's everything from protests and flash mobs to yoga raves and glow-in-the-dark dodgeball to live concerts and art exhibitions. There's always something different happening at UVic. Now, I think it's fair to say we've all heard some negative stereotypes about sororities. We sat down with the president of the UVic chapter of the Kappa Beta Gamma sorority, Kristen Nygren, and found out how, and according to them, why the organization still runs despite the ban on Greek life at UVic. We also chat with grad student Mark McIntyre and find out what the life of a graduate student in anthropology looks like, and also some of the unique research and fieldwork he's done. And later, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Malahat Review with editor John Barton and member of the Poetry Board at the Review, Christine Wald. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Salma Hassan, and this is You in the Ring. Stay with us. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Salma Hassan, and you're tuned in to You in the Ring. In this episode, we search for stories that tell us a little bit about what's happening on campus. This first segment is about UVic sorority Kappa Beta Gamma. Who are they and how do they continue to function despite the university-wide ban on Greek life? We interviewed Kristen Nygren, president of the Epsilon chapter of Kappa Beta Gamma International Sorority, to talk about what role their organization plays at UVic. In 1917, Kappa Beta Gamma was founded by 12 women at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. After expanding across the United States, KBG became an international sorority after adding the Epsilon chapter here at the University of Victoria in 2011. President of UVic's KBG chapter, Kirsten Nygren, shared with us some of the behind-the-scenes action that happens in order to run the sorority. Yeah, like any other organization, we have a few levels of governing boards which ensure that our bylaws and constitutions are adhered to. This structure allows us to run smoothly like a business, but it also provides a sense of stability and extra support to aid our members down the road of secondary education and life. Okay, awesome. So is, it's a democracy, I'm assuming. Yes. There's a board yes. and everything. So do you want to tell me a little bit about the election process and how that works? Yeah. Like, yeah. So we have um, 
we have a local board like we have officers like we have you know just like athletics chair social chair and that sort of stuff and then we also have an executive board which is uh, consists of the president vice president treasurer um, secretary our new member educator and our international liaison and then um, we have another board which governs all the chapters and so there's four members on that and then overall we have a grand council which is like a um, big watch over the American and the Canadian chapters. Kristen says Greek life is not what you think it is. She admits to the negative connotations associated with sororities that come from film and pop culture representations. But this is what she tells people who are wary of joining one because of the stereotypes associated with sororities. It's not what you think it is. Mm. And it's that's like the biggest thing is like I always tell people like just show up to one like we have like our rush events and the info night is always the first one I'm like show up to that it might not be for you but most of the time people are like wow this is nothing like what I was expecting at all (laughs) the rush process also isn't what everyone seems to think it might be so Kristen gives us some more information about what exactly happens if someone wants to join Kappa. Um, so there are certain set in stone requirements such as minimum GPA, like we want our girls to be within good standing in yeah. the university. Um, and then there are some requirements that are based off of how well we feel that a member fits with uh, our characteristics of the sorority. The, and our rush, So we do a rush process and it's a series of events that occur over a week or two and the purpose of these events is to just like mingle and get to know girls yeah. and it's a chance for them to like come and find out a little bit more about us and even see if it's a good fit for them and if we're a good fit, you know, both ways. Um, and so, yeah, that's really the only reason that we have the rush process is just to kind of see if everybody gets along, gets along and whatnot. Um, but like we don't discriminate against girls like it's not petty like you see in the movies and they're like oh she doesn't look like us or blah blah like it's really nothing like that at all <laughs> like our decisions aren't based on looks or rumors or vibes or anything like that um we base our decision on which girls we feel will share and uphold our values and so the rush rush process is really important to see if it's good for you nice. so when you said characteristics like Uh, Do you want to just elaborate a little bit on that? Like, what specific characteristics are you looking for besides, like, the dynamic, I suppose? Um, Just, like, girls that are interested in the same thing. Like, you know, we want our girls to be, um, like, you know, obviously, like, care about your academics and um, be willing to, like, give back to the community and um, participate in, like, all different aspects of Kappa and not just in, like, you know, some people want to join just for the movie, like, party aspect and stuff like that, but, like, that's not what we do really so you just want to make sure that everybody is kind of on the same page right with with everything everything. (laughs) and then uh do you have a select amount of members that you take in every year because that would be limiting as well yeah so we vote before each rush process which does make it kind of difficult because we don't know how many girls are going to be interested but we vote on a maximum class size um, for each recruitment just to make sure that we have the right resources for girls because we don't want to bring in too many girls and not have the right resources to make sure that they all feel you know welcome and that they're all um, getting the same level so we vote on that number ahead of time um, and yeah yeah so do they feel like an application that you guys all look at afterwards or is there just like you kind of remember people from rushes and make a list and then go from there or um well it's kind of hard because like we have so many events that you know some girls will come to one and not others and so it's kind of hard to get an idea sometimes but um for the most part we have like a little thing like you know a little form and get them to fill out just unofficially so we can remember everyone that showed up and it's just like you know name what year are you in like 
what about this interests you? Like, what are your hobbies? Just like fun little facts. And, um, and then we try to take a picture of all the girls, like when they show up, just so that at the end we can flip through and be, oh, I remember her. Like, (laughs) interestingly, all Greek life was banned around seven years ago at UVic. So we wanted to know how exactly KBG was still operating after the ban. Here's what Kirsten had to say. We're not affiliated with UVic and we are not a club sanctioned by the UVSS. We're just a group of students who all happen to attend UVic, who, um, you know, we're all part of the same organization. Yeah, for sure. Is that something that you think the sorority would be interested in looking into again as potentially getting affiliated with the university again? Is that something that would even be possible or is that something that's been discussed at all? I, um, I mean, it's something that we've always, it's always been on the, you know, the back burner, like, oh, like, could we, would we, the UVSS, um, it's been brought up a few times and they, um, I get the impression that they have a pretty firm stance on it. Nice. But um, granted, like, they, it was banned about seven to eight years ago, so, you know, there might be a change of opinion now. Right. Um, and I honestly think a lot of it might be a little bit from, uh, like, a misunderstanding. According to them, KBG's core values are about giving back to the community. Kirsten explains how seriously the sorority members take their volunteer work. All of the girls have a, uh, like, a volunteer position outside of the sorority. Oh. So, like, all of us, you know, they're volunteering at the hospital, they're volunteering at the, there's lots of girls that volunteer at schools and, like, that sort of stuff. So everyone is involved in the community in some way or another. Kirsten was elated when we asked about the benefits of joining a sorority and shared her personal experience and her advice to those thinking of joining. I think there are so many benefits and I love just, like, helping people, like, lots of people just see the negatives and they are like, oh, like, this is terrible, like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so I think there's a lot of benefits. The Greek life at, here at UVic is, like, my home away from home and everybody makes you feel so welcome and stuff like that. Um, so my re- main reason for joining was for friends and uh, to, like, m- gain some pr- uh, professional skills and stuff like that. So I've definitely done that and I found, like, my best friends and my roommates and Everyone in our household is in the Greek system. Um, and so, and I've made lots of professional connections, like I said, and most of it is just from holding positions within the chapter. Like I learned a lot of things and like that I probably never would have learned before. <laughs> and so it's really cool. Um, so I've learned a lot like that way. And um, it's definitely brought me out of my shell. Like in first year, I was very shy and I didn't really talk to anybody. I think that's why I didn't really make a whole lot of close friends. So um, like now I've got a lot more confidence which I think will help me be more successful like overall in life. The ban of Greek life on campus has not slowed KBG down and doesn't appear to have hindered their enthusiasm from members of the Upsilon chapter themselves. We thank Kirsten for sharing her story and unveiling sorority life from the inside. Next up, we'll hear from Mark McIntyre about what keeps him busy as a graduate student here at UVic. Stay tuned. Just be yourself. You in the Ring is supported by Capital Six Theatres. Every month, Capital Six features an independent film series, which often includes a Q&A. Head over to 8058 Street to buy tickets. Phone the movie hotline 778-265-7988 to see what's playing or visit capital6.ca. (laughs) 
From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host Salma San, and you're tuned in to You in the Ring. Many undergrads here at UVic think about pursuing a graduate degree at some point in their academic career, but most don't know exactly what to expect or what being a graduate student really entails. We sat down with UVic graduate student Mark McIntyre to discuss the kind of work he does here and what life has been like since he began his master's in anthropology. Mark began by sharing with us, why anthropology? I was interested in anthropology mostly because of um, the different ways that people make their lives in the world and what does that mean and the, the different forces and entanglements that people deal with in making their day-to-day projects. And so the way that they deal with, say, systems of capitalism or systems of patriarchy or whatever, how do people navigate that, right? And so, I mean, anthropology is a whole bunch of stuff. Like, anything can be. Like, you talk to somebody and, you know, what is anthropology? Well, it's human studies, right? And so what is human? It's everything. The work that I do is really rooted in ethnography, which is going to communities and talking to people, like you're doing now, doing face-to-face interviews and talking about what's going on in their lives right now. When you say people, urban or rural or both? Um, The community that I deal with is this town in Nova Scotia on on Cape Breton Island, um, Glace Bay. And so that is a deindustrialized community for the most part. And so I go and um, talk to them about their lives and how they are navigating their precarious life ways. Mark shares that his current work has to do with the community in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia called Glace Bay. He explained both the difficulties and the benefits of having a focused area of study in such a remote community far away from his home base at the university. Yeah, it's a problem, actually. But, but it's um, also... But it's, uh, it's also a, a good thing as well because, so in my field work, I went there and I lived there for a period of time. And then the day that I get there is the beginning of the study. So start collecting my data that day. And then the day that I leave, that's the end of the study. So if it were here, that study might be ongoing because how do you divorce yourself from it when it's like, because life goes on, right? And things constantly change and are constantly, like we were saying, constantly in flux. But blah, blah, there, blah. it's more like an immersion. There, like it's an, immor- an immersion, and when I leave, I can divorce myself a bit more from it. Finally, Mark wraps things up with a bit of explanation in the transition and the differences between undergraduates and grad students. The difference between undergrad and graduate studies, at least in anthropology, I think, is in in undergrad, it's kind of like people are taking all of these topics in different classes and saying, hey, look at this. Here's, here's this topic. Isn't that interesting? Right? Oh, and then these people do this. Wow, isn't that interesting? And then, oh, here's another thing that people do. And then this over here, you know, this big collection of stuff, but it doesn't dive deep into anything. It's just like, here it is. Here's the surface level. And then maybe a little bit of I wonder what's going on there, right? Where in the graduate programs, it's more of a how does that happen? How does that come to be? What are the processes involved that make that that? In undergrad, you do a lot of projects. 
but they're really surface level stuff. You don't go and, and do deep ethnography anywhere um, where the graduate level, you're, sus you're kind of expected to go and do a long, longer term project. In the MA program, it's not really realistic to do a year-long study, but you could, as you said, set the stage for, for say, a PhD. Right. If you're going to do that. Coming up next, we'll be hearing about the history of the Malahat Review from editor John Barton and member of the poetry board at the Review, Christine Wald, as they celebrate the 50th anniversary of UVic's literary magazine. Stay tuned. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host Salma Hassan, and you're tuned in to You in the Ring. Our next segment is about bringing a rich cultural history into the spotlight. We're celebrating 50 years of passion and hard work from the Malahat Review, UVic's very own literary magazine. We asked editor John Barton and member of the Poetry Board Christine to tell us more about the inner workings and the rich history of the Malahat Review. Here's what John had to say about the beginnings of the Malahat. So it was founded by two professors who were at that time in the English department, Robin Skelton and John Peter. And through the research done by um, our colleague, Nick Bradley, we discovered that they, Robin held a dinner at the Empress Hotel in 1965 to sort of brainstorm the Malahat. Picture it. It's 1965, and Robin Skelton is surrounded by colleagues spitballing and brainstorming a literary magazine that would truly appreciate the literature that needed to be read. And here we are, 50 years later. Not only has the Malahat Review worked tirelessly to expand Canada's literary audience, but they've also been nominated for the Western Magazine Award Foundation's Magazine of the Year Award eight times and won it in 1993. Since its origin in 1967, the review has changed in format and style under the careful care of various editors. But here's what John Barton thought had been the greatest change thus far. Starting in the mid-70s, it became ever more a Canadian journal in the sense that it published Canadian writing in greater numbers than writers from elsewhere. Certainly it's something that um, we've had to do, I think the decision was, uh, Connie Rook really set the um, stage for what the magazine is today uh, when she became editor in 1983, which was a very strong focus on Canadian fiction and poetry. And that's been maintained by each of the editors since. I've added creative nonfiction. And also, in some ways, we are serving the the um, whims of the granting agencies that would like a Canadian focus on the journal if they're going to fund us. And Canadian Heritage demands that uh, the content be 80% Canadian. As part of the celebration, the review will feature a multitude of archival material showcasing much of the review's history. Christine shared her favorite piece from the highlighted archives. I think one of the things that is so remarkable about the history of the Malahat is how 
assiduously it was documented from its very beginnings. And I think one of my favorite pieces of documentation that we discovered was actually uh, encountered first by Nicholas Bradley, which is the dinner menu that was created for the first sort of official meeting of the minds, if you will, of Skelton and various folks from UVic at the time, including the Dean of Libraries, Dean Halliwell. And it just has this sense of ceremony um, and also this self-consciousness that they were creating something uh, remarkable. I just love that piece of paper and everything from, you know, what they selected to eat, you know, speaks to uh, that sense of history and uh, at that moment in time. And Nicholas Bradley's essay really goes into wonderful detail about that dinner, but also recontextualizing it within a time and place where, you know, the the Thunderbird Park was just around the corner at the RBCM, what the Empress might have been like 1965, you know, you know, maybe a little bit um, dingier at yeah. that time, but at the same time, you know, there's this sense of rebirth uh, in terms of, you know, thinking about Canadian literature, about Victoria as a place, about Robin as an editor and as a writer and shaping a vision for not just the publication, but also, I think, in some way, the University of Victoria. So that single document, which is just really a dinner menu, which they all signed, of course, <laughs> is really quite remarkable. Apart from great works of Canadian literature being featured in the Malahat Review, Christine also delved into the role visual arts has played in the history of the review. There's often so many things that cannot be described in words, but a picture of something or a painting or installation or any type of artwork, you know, expresses or maybe extends the expression of something that's already been said in words or, or can't be said in words. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the place of art, you know, whether it's on the covers or on the inside of the pages, acts as, you know, that extension of understanding the stories and the poems and the writing that's in between the pages and between the pictures, I guess, if you mm -hmm. want to put it that way. But on another fundamental level, I think Robin Skelton was uh, instrumental in developing the art collection here at the University of Victoria, mm -hmm. and he had very deep connections to the art community, to the visual arts community here in Victoria, and that was important to him. It all fit within his vision, I think, of what the Malhat Review was. John emphasizes the work that the founder, Robin Skelton, put in from the very beginning, leading into 50 years of success. It has good bones. You know, Robin really launched something that um, uh, was well-rooted. And so each person who's become the editor ever since was able to build on that. However, sometimes it might have felt shaky. Mm -hmm. um, and again, another word that he would never use, but he developed a good brand. Mm. Um there's a writer named uh, Carrie Lee Powell who lives in New Brunswick, and we published a short story of hers that actually won the same contest that um, Eliza Robertson won. And soon afterwards, she got a call from Harper Collins, and she got a two-book deal from them. Wow. 
And so, no, I wouldn't necessarily say that the Malahat is the only journal that helps make those connections, but I think it probably has a history of doing that. Mm-hmm. So that brand of uh, excellence, I always say that the, the, the Malahat's brand is prestige. Mm. Everything is about prestige. We lend that, or it rubs off on the people that we publish, and uh, it's meaningful. It's uh, the sense of responsibility Mm -hmm. that we feel towards maintaining the quality Mm -hmm. of the publication and respecting the voices that have come before and the voices that we will publish in the future. And I think it's that being a part of that community as a part of that continuum as board members, I think that is also part of its success as well. To conclude the interview, John and Christine shared with us their hopes for the future of the Malahat Review. We published an issue on Indigenous writing Mm -hmm. that was edited by Indigenous authors. It was guest edited. It was the first guest edited issue that I had published during my time as editor. And it's the only issue I've ever had to reprint. Mm -hmm. Within about a month, it was very clear that we hadn't printed enough and I'd already printed more than normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And the amount of um, excitement uh, that it seemed to have for the contributors was really powerful to me. Um, I was kind of awed by it, actually. And so in the fall, in the winter of, of 2018, the Malahat will publish a guest-edited issue of queer writing. Oh. Um, and uh, there are three guest editors, um, uh, Ali Blythe, um, and uh, Betsy Warland and Trevor Corkum. And through that mix, you know, there's three distinct um, perspectives, lesbian, gay male, and trans. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, instead of the three guest editors working in isolation on one genre, I'm having all three editors work together to bring those perspectives into the into the mix. So. And say if, if it had been that Trevor Corkin, for instance, was only editing fiction, a lesbian writer or trans writer might feel a little hesitant. Mm-hmm. So, in that way, I'm it, trying to mix it up. I mean, uh, the challenge is always to get in new voices mm-hmm. into a magazine um, because sometimes, you know, whether we know we're doing it or not we're sending out a message that we only like one type of writing. And so to break down those barriers is always the the challenge. Certainly that's one direction that the magazine will go. On that note, I would like to thank the Malahat Review for the 50 years of passion and hard work that has gone into showcasing these incredible voices. Fine arts here at UVic wouldn't be the same without their support and input. Here's to another 50 years. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment wherever you found our podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, head over to cfuvpodcast.com or soundcloud.com forward slash cfuv. The theme music you heard on this episode was composed and performed by Toe. We also featured Passion by Shepard and new music by Fintan O'Brien, both bands that have members who attend UVic. This program was produced by myself, Maureen Chow, Max Collins, Kavin Hamand, Dante Andre Kahan, Izzy Almasi, and Georges Depuis. This program is created by our podcasting production team. 
If you'd like to get involved in spoken word programming here at CFUV, you can find more information at cfuv.ca. Signing off, I'm your host, Salma Hassan. This is You in the Ring. Thank you for listening. You in the Ring is made possible with the generous support of Capital Six Cinemas and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. You in the Ring is proudly supported by Capital Six Theatres. Get out of the house and see brand new movies with surround sound and first-class luxury seating on the big screen. Experience cinema how it was meant to be seen. Capital Six, the ultimate movie-going experience. Book tickets and see what's playing at capitalsix.ca. Thank you.